Welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Uh, we're live. This is our uh, second live show, and I want to thank the good people that call in for making it happen. And joining me is uh, one of my favorite guests and, uh, and uh, a fellow Beatle fan, and has his own show on Sirius XM, John saying, John, thanks for joining us. Mr. Karam, what a pleasure. Thank you for uh, <laughs> being patient with me, learning the ins and outs of calling. Hey, JATQ listeners, we have exciting news. We've launched JATQ Live, a new weekly show where you can call in and ask questions live. So if you've got a second, download the call-in app. That's call-in, C-A-L-L-I-N. Make an account and follow us on over there. Talk to you soon. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Well, listen, thanks for being here. Uh, I want to start today by... Uh, just talking off the top, I, I have you here for a very specific reason that we're going to have fun with, I think. But um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, the day in the White House briefing room yesterday with Matthew McConaughey and his. Uh, and, and what did you think of that? Matthew coming out and talking about um, gun control uh, in the briefing room for about 30 minutes. Did that affect you in any way? I mean, how'd you take that? I thought it was uh, very smart on many levels. I thought it was smart for the culture. It was smart for this White House. It was smart for um, the administration. The fact that McConaughey is not a liberal, the fact that McConaughey is showing up there as a responsible gun owner, I think was the most powerful statement it could have made. You know, he, he talked about responsible gun owners who are really sick and tired of seeing the Second Amendment be abused. And poll after poll after poll shows that NRA members believe that Responsible gun ownership goes hand in hand with uh, with gun safety in this country. And and the NRA doesn't represent their members, as you well know. The NRA <laughs> used to be a gun safety org. Then it morphed into a gun rights organization. And now it's the lobbying wing of the gun manufacturers that pretends to be a gun rights organization. They don't care about the Second Amendment. They care about selling as many guns as possible. And so, you know, they want this proliferation and the more crime there is, you know how this works. I don't know if you're yeah. on your mailing list like I am. There's a mass I am. You'll get the email right away from the NRA saying, Biden's coming to take your guns. It's the same email they sent out that used to say Obama's going to come take your guns. People believe it. They buy more guns and the manufacturers make a killing off of every killing. So I thought that he was a, a, a terrific spokesperson for the cause. Uh, and because it's not political and it's not controversial. The stuff that Joe Biden called for in his speech last week is so minor and so popular among the majority of voters. I mean, expanded background checks, Brian, that's more popular than Christmas in this country. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen Christmas and I, I, I support background checks before that. Uh, but but <laughs> I, I will push back on this. I think that um, I think all that you said is true, but I what bothered me about him being there was the fact that I think, honestly, at the end of the day, the Republicans and, and, and the gun rights owners don't mind that because that particular speech took up a lot of oxygen just two days prior to the January 6th insurrection. And the Republicans would love to talk about gun rights and don't want to talk about the insurrection. And I want to stay focused on the insurrection because I firmly believe 
that you can't, that democracy is still in peril and has been in peril. And I know you can talk about many different things, but there's only so much oxygen in the room. And I think that Republicans just love having a good gun debate and they don't want to face facts on on the insurrection. But I think Republicans, they don't need a gun debate. They just need to ride out the clock because they know the American attention span is so brief. And before these bodies are even cold, we'll have moved on to the next Johnny Depp trial. So I think the Republicans, you know, (laughs) another thing I didn't care about. Yeah. (laughs) But at, at the end of the day, both the Republican indifference to gun safety and the January 6th hearings are both going to drive anti-Republican voting this fall. I think they want to avoid both. And McConaughey is that rarest of creatures, a, a Hollywood celebrity, although he's from Uvalde, who is very right. popular among Trump voters. I, I, I thought in that sense it was powerful. I would have preferred the, you know, the media gave more coverage to like Garnell Whitfield whose mother Ruth was murdered uh, in Buffalo at the grocery store and who challenged the commitment of Congress to stop the gun violence. I thought his speech was 10 times more powerful than McConaughey's, but it doesn't mean there's not room for both of them. And uh, look, every bit helps. And if Matthew McConaughey sways a few people over to the side of decency, then, then, you know, every, it, it, it takes a lot of people to make a movement. Yeah. And the only thing to say to that is all right, all right, all right. (laughs) <laughs> you know i mean they i'm don't dazed want anyone and confused, talking about Jan- they, they, de- they definitely don't want anyone talking about january 6th which is why it's not going to be covered on fox news primetime and that's the greatest irony the january 6th hearings won't be on hannity and laura ingram but hannity and laura ingram will be on the january 6th hearings so that's yeah, where that, we're at that, that, that is where we're at and the sad part about that is i just don't think that the I, I think the needle won't move. I, I hope it does, but I don't know that it will. On regarding what? The needle won't move regarding what? On getting uh, indictments or oh, yeah. better awareness of the issue. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think, you know, on the issue of uh, January 6th, I, I think that they're not doing it so much to get indictments and to have a reckoning for what happened in the past. I really think they're doing this to make us wake up about what's going to come in the future. I think this is all about the elections much more, more than the 2020 election. I also think that, uh, likewise with guns, I don't think you're going to see any movement on there at all. Nothing to change. Mass shootings will continue until every Republican that holds office uh, who's it's one degree of empathy. Some I, folks can have empathy for politicians. It's yeah, and and, and I think it's before he cared about gay people. Exactly. Yeah, you, you make a point. But all of that aside, I want to take a few minutes to uh, talk about a, a passion of mine and yours, and and, and that is uh, music, and in particular yes. the Beatles. Right so on. I invited you. Yeah, I invited you here. Let me ask you a different question. What? What? You know, you sent me some pictures today, and I, I find what? What do you find? What's your favorite memory of the Beatles? And you've interviewed. I've got pictures of you with what two or three of them. Um, two of them. What is your favorite memory of sitting down and talking to George or, or Paul? Well, um, with George, it was an unexpected thing. He, he just, I was about to fly to London to do a TV special with Paul when I was very young. And they told me I had to delay my trip for a day because George was going to uh, come in with Ravi Shankar. It was very last minute. And he was only going to come in and do about 10 minutes of an interview. And I was the worst interviewer of all time. I was totally raw and made inappropriate jokes, but I, I knew every B-side he'd ever put out. Uh, <laughs> spiritually, he was a huge influence on me because I was raised very Catholic. My, my mom had been a nun. My dad had been a Franciscan brother. And uh, so getting, getting George to laugh at a Rick Astley joke was pretty nice. And, you know, um, the, the George experience changed my life because I was so embarrassed by what a preening idiot I had been that it took a few years later for when VH1 finally aired the special in totality for people to really see it and like it. And I was able to forgive myself for, uh, for being so rough when I first was starting out, um, which was just great. And I got to meet his wife, Olivia, years later at the walk of fame ceremony. And she was so gracious and kind to me for having done the special. He, he came in to do a five minute soundbite and I got on the stay for four hours and I finally handed him a guitar. He hadn't. Wow. 
I gave him a guitar and he wound up doing a very impromptu three song, four song uh, concert. And it wound up being his final public performance. He never You're played kidding. in public again. Wow. What songs did he play? He played an Indian Vedic chant called Prabhuji with Ravi Shankar. He played, um, he played uh, a song that had never been released, which wound up being the title track of his posthumous album called uh, Any Road, which is a wonderful song. If you don't know where you're going, Any Road will get you there. Yeah. He played a Traveling Wilbury song that only Bob Dylan had sung called If You Belong to Me from volume three, which I couldn't believe. I was the only guy in the room who knew it. And then he played the only time he ever played it live in his entire life uh, in public. He played All Things Must Pass. So um, Whoa. it was, it was a, a lot for me to take in. And, uh, and he even fumbled the, the chords on his guitar on All Things Must Pass. And it made the song even more beautiful. And, oh. uh, you know, someone posted when he, when he died, they, they aired it around the clock. It was originally a half hour special that nobody watched. And then I was up at doing the Montreal Comedy Festival and they called me and said, hey, George is very sick. Can you come to New York and recut it? So the day he died, they had this special. And, and the best part about it, it's a long-winded answer, sorry. But when it first no. was, was done, it was a lot of it was, you know, I knew if I talked about the Beatles, he would shut down. So I talked about God and the soul and meditation and what happens when you die. And my producers were like, why are you doing all this? But then the day he died, they have this, interview of George Harrison and this 25 year old talking about God and the soul and what happens when you die. And um, to this day, I have people say very kind things about how uh, it's one of the more spiritual things they've ever seen on, on TV. At one point, even George said, well, this is all a bit lofty for VH1, but, um, <laughs> and he had to die for them to air it, but uh, I'm I'll <laughs> never be sorry that I did. And I guess it was when I first learned uh, when I first learned, Hey, it's, it's, you know, talk about what they care about and they will open up. Yeah, that's true. And that's why we're talking about the Beatles. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so we've got everything queued up. I okay. Believe. So here's the first clip. I like it. We're going to play you two seconds. Tell me if you know the song. Okay. Two Is seconds. That, that. Uh, you won't see me? Close. Oh. <laughs> what was it? You know my name. Look up oh, the number. That's a great, great song. Classic, bizarre. Boy, you want to know what hallucinogens will do for a band? Listen to that one. <laughs> you know my name. Look up the number. Oh, yeah. It's great. We're it's used great. To, you know, that was the B-side. There's a, a bit for you. You know, it was the B-side of. No, what was it? Let it be. Oh, wow. Well, there's something for something for all kinds of drugs there. All right, give yeah. me another one. I'll do better next time. All right, here's the second one. You're totally stumping me, Brian. You're totally stumping me. I, I, I it's a, I, give me a, go ahead and tell me. All too much. Oh man, I can't. All right, because I'm going to talk about that song. Let's talk about yes, that song. The, oh, you're, you're playing the end of the song. That's why. That's. I thought you were playing the opening chords to something. All right. No, we're just now picking two seconds at random in the song. Okay. Now I, I thought you were playing like the opening chords. Now I'm ready. No. All right. So tell me about all too much. You wanted to talk about that one. Well, one of the questions you asked me was, what is the uh, favorite obscure Beatles song? Yeah. And, you know, it's not that obscure, but I'll, I will always say the most underrated Beatles song is It's All Too Much. And it's amazing how many casual Beatles fans don't know it, because unless you have the Yellow Submarine song track, you don't have It's All Too Much. And it's not on any George Harrison hits packages. It, it, it has never been played live. They didn't do it at concert for George. It is the closing song in uh, Yellow Submarine, the movie, which is also amazing because there's like four different closing songs in that movie. You think it's ending and then they keep on having song after song after song. Right. But, um, you know, it, it's such a, a psychedelic post-pepper masterpiece. George later said that he didn't like the horn section and the horn players that came in said that they didn't think George really knew what he was doing with the song. But the horns are great. It's exuberant. It's crazy. It's both wholesome and psychedelic at the same time. And I've always thought if they had released that song six months earlier and put it on Pepper, if that song had started side two of Pepper, it would oh. now be considered a classic. But because it was six months later 
and they put it as one of four new songs on the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. It's really only known by diehard fans. And it starts out with a, a great uh, feedback as well. Great feedback. And yeah. it's a, another song about Patty Boyd. You know, yes. with your and long blonde hair and your eyes of blue. With your long blonde hair and your eyes of blue. This is the woman who inspired something and Wonderful Tonight and Layla, the greatest muse in the history of rock music. Yeah, well, or as a friend of mine, you know, who was in a band with me once said, she must have been really hot when she was younger. <laughs> she was astonishingly hot when she was younger. She's in Let It Be. She's on the yeah. train and Let It Be. She's, she no, she's in Hard Day's Night. I'm sorry, Hard Day's Night and, and the train scene in Hard Day's Night. Yes. She's, uh, the... she's yeah, when they're, when, when they're playing uh, uh, And I Love Her on the train, she's sitting there next to John. And, and John said, the quiet blokes get all the best birds. Uh, Patty Boyd is astonishingly gorgeous. And the nicest thing is that even after she left George, and I don't think he was the best husband based on, you know, if you read around there, but right. he still stayed very close to her and stayed very close to Clapton. He went to their wedding and they all remained friends. Yeah, there was an interesting um, one time there was a press conference where someone asked him about, you know, she left him and went with uh Eric Clapton, and he, they go, how do you feel about it? He goes, well, I'm glad she ended up with a friend of mine. You're still friends with, with Eric? Because, of course, I'm still friends with Eric. Well, not just that. I mean, the the only tour George ever did after the 70s was in 1991. He did 17 dates in Japan, and he did it with Eric and the band. And it was the last time Eric Clapton was somebody's backup guitarist. But it's an amazing concert. Uh, it's a shame the album had such a nothing cover. That album should have been promoted and marketed very differently. Um, and uh, it's just beautiful. And hearing Clapton and George trade off on solos, they've still never released the the video of it. They shot every one of those shows. And, and yeah, they, they, they stayed friends till the end. I was at the um, concert for George a year to the day after he died with Paul and Ringo and Tom Petty. And Eric Clapton was the band leader. Wow. All right. Song okay. number three. Give me another right. one. I got to try this now so it's not the open. All right. Right. We have song number three. That would be Why Don't what? We Do It In The Road. <laughs> yeah. Kind of gave it away. Well, that's that's the only one I think that it's only Paul and Ringo playing on it. That's exactly right. That's the, the trivia question to go with that. Yep. And uh, it, it was, uh, you, do you know how it was cut and, and how it came to be? No. Well, I, I, they, the, they were the only two in the uh, studio at the time. And Ringo was playing around and, and uh, Paul said, I got something for that. And that led to this. Wow. What's the only Beatles song that only John and Paul play every instrument on? Well, that would have to be. Uh, the Ballad of John and Yoko. Uh, see, you're good, man. You're good. You, you, and there's another one there that I like too, but we'll we'll hit that in a second. Okay, number four. Oh, that's um, is that long, long, long? Yes. Wow, I'm catching up with you. You're getting there, brother. You're getting there. That and there's you know I use that in a documentary for the. Uh, it was really fun. The only time I ever had any um, any interaction with uh, with George was getting permission to use that in a documentary when people were coming back from or leaving to go to the original Gulf War. And I sent a letter saying we were going to use it, but it was fair use. But we wanted to let them know. Wow. And uh, and, and it's so it's in a documentary called Good to Go about um, the 41st Combat Support Hospital going to uh going over to uh, um, the the Gulf War. That's amazing. And number five. <laughs> um, Savoy Truffle from the White House? Yes. And that goes back to, you know, the significance of that in, in the George world. That's about Eric Clapton having his teeth taken out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how he was always eating sweet food. Yes. Wow, that's speaking of George Harrison with a uh, horn section too. That's a crazy song. Yeah. So out of all the songs that uh, I, I want to go through a, a little bit about today, I think people don't understand the um, the significant contribution that the Beatles made to music. What do you think is the single biggest contribution they made? Wow. 
I mean, I think that they, um, I think they saved the national psyche. I think they created the 60s. I think they are the architects of the counterculture of the 1960s. I think all the artists that helped end the war in Vietnam, I think that, that they were all inspired by the Beatles. I think they showed how pop artists can become artists. And I think for bands, they invented the very concept of the solo career. Yeah, they they did all of that. I think they invented whole reams of rock and roll. Oh, they invented whole reams of rock and roll along along with Dylan. And I also think that, you know, they just showed that their guitarist, just by working with them, became one of the greatest songwriters in the world. Like the guy who never had a song in the first several albums. But just by like the genius of osmosis and sharing a room, George became their peer. And in many ways, uh, a superior songwriter, because I think George put out the best solo record of any of them. Which is all things must pass. All things must pass. I think he also put together the uh, what I consider the greatest uh, love song that the Beatles ever put together. Would that be something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Sinatra said. I I, I think it was fantastic. That I, I I'd love that. But uh, there was a. Did you see the six hour version of of the Let It Be tapes that was put together? Did I? I can't wait for the eighteen hour version to come out. It was amazing. I know, right? It was just it was just <laughs> incredible. I mean. It's it's one of the best films ever made about creating art. And there's a scene, in, and I mean, when you look at it, when you look at that version that we looked at, the scene where Paul McCartney is creating Get Back, to me, yeah. is it, it's just unbelievable. People are walking around in the studio. They're doing all kinds of things. George and Ringo are drinking tea. John hasn't shown up. And Paul creates that song out of the air on a bass. On, on a, a bass, he creates it. I I, 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 you know, and if you don't play or if you don't get it, I mean, you don't get it, but that came out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. it just came out of nowhere. And, and uh, just to see, to capture that moment of creation is lightning in a bottle. I, I think it's the highlight of the whole thing for me. But it, but it's also, it, I think it's the most important part of the film too, because it shows that you can do that. Like art yeah. comes from nothing and it just takes a spark and one tiny spark. You can stare at a blank canvas for days, but a little bit of parameters will give, will stimulate the creativity. And if you just put a speck on a blank canvas, you'll know what's there. And Paul just creating that riff and getting the phrase, get back in his head and the rest of the song just sprung up around it. Yep. And it, one thing I'll say is, you know, when, when we were growing up or when I was growing up, Let It Be was looked at as a minor contribution in the pantheon of of uh, Beatle, you know, mania. It was yes. uh, it was. It, but when I watched those six hours, I, I looked at it and there were songs from six different albums in that. And that was what, over a two, three week period of time yeah. where they created all of that. So there's there's songs that were on um, Imagine. There were songs that were on Let, uh, All Things Must Pass, a couple of McCartney albums, uh, you know, this album and, uh, and the Abbey next Road. Album, Abbey Road. So, uh, and, and I think Ringo. And, and Anthology 3. Don't leave that one out. And Anth look at all those. Look at the, create, the creative spark over those two, two and a half, three weeks of time. I but you know what, what, I, what I love about it, though, is that, you know, it's an album that has a couple of good songs on it, a couple of great songs on it. It's an album that undeniably, I think, has suffered because it has filler on it. The Beatles tried to fix it in, the, in like 2004 when they released Let It Be Naked, which is really good and everyone should own it. But a lot of it is just nonsense. What the greatest thing about it is 50 years after they put it out, it became a great album. And that's kind of what I love about it. Because of this movie, suddenly it is a great album. Yeah, well, I always liked it. There was, and there's, you know, um, two of us. Uh, I me mine. I dig a pony. All of that. I but like. they left that the, the arguably the best song on it. Next to let it be, is uh, don't let me down. And they left it off the album. They finally I got it right know. when they released Let It Be Naked in the seventies. Um, yeah. And and finally included Don't Let Me Down, which is one of the best songs John Lennon ever wrote and ever sang. Yeah, I agree. You know, he was, I, I read somewhere that he was never happy with his own voice. He thought it wasn't good enough. Yeah, he, well, he was never happy with himself in many ways. Yeah. What, what do you think is the biggest thing that people don't know about the Beatles that they should know? Like trivia-wise, or, or what do you mean? I, I mean, as, in any form or fashion. You know, I mean, I, I mentioned it before. I think um, one thing that I don't think they get credit enough for is... Um, that they invented the concept 
of the solo career. You know, it was in April 17th of 1971, all four of the ex-Beatles had solo singles on the UK charts at the same time. McCartney had Another Day. Ringo had it. Don't Come Easy. John had Power to the People. George had My Sweet Lord. I mean, last night, Ringo played to Fenway Park in Boston. <laughs> like, it, it just goes to show that when people talk about the Beatles, they talk about them in two phases, right? The mops and then the artists. It, it really is several. You can kind of track their evolution by what kind of drugs they're doing. Oh, they're on speed. They're on weed. They're on acid. <laughs> oh, now they're on heavier things, aren't they? But um, I, I think that that if you just view the Beatles as going from mop top to psychedelia, you're kind of cheating yourself. I think you, you can at best cut chop them into three different categories as pop stars, as great artists, and then as solo artists. And I think that their solo catalogs should not ever be sold short. Their solo catalogs all matter, all four of them. Yeah, I Ringo, agree. And Ringo I and, had and two I, number Ringo Starr had two number one singles before John Lennon had one. Yeah. And 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 you want to name them uh, for Trivial Pursuit? I think it was uh, Don't Come Easy and Photograph. Yeah, you're right. I think. Well, although my favorite yeah. solo song by him still has to be the No-No song. <laughs> <laughs> that one, you know, he. I, I, the best thing I can say about that is he doesn't play that song live anymore. But um, yeah. <laughs> I think it don't, it don't Come Easy holds up as a, as a really terrific soul song. And the amazing thing about it is... Um, if you ever listen to George Harrison's demo for it. And so does the photograph, I think, hold up. Uh, I, I think Ringo should, I think Ringo and his tours should like place by the other three guys. I really do. Ringo should release an album of just songs by the other three because, uh, you know, Ringo should release covers of, of Got My Mind Set On You. John Lennon wrote Nobody Told Me There'd Be Days Like These as a song for Ringo. And he recorded a demo and sent it to Ringo. And then after he was murdered, Yoko released his demo as a single and it became a hit. I'd love to hear Ringo do it. And same with uh, It Don't Come Easy. I would the, the George Harrison version of It Don't Come Easy has never been officially released. You can hear it on YouTube and it's just sensational. Do you remember where you were when John died? Yeah, I was a, I was a little kid. I was going to school and it didn't at the time didn't mean anything to me. Um, I had heard of John Lennon. I knew who he was. Um, I, I knew John Lennon and Paul McCartney's names, and I knew one or two Beatles songs, but my parents weren't into pop music, so I didn't really grow up around any of it. I saw how upset my teacher was. And at the time, I was doing a play, uh, a, a regional theater production of Christmas Carol. It was my first ever paid acting gig. And um, the day of the vigil, we had a, a, a matinee, and all the actors backstage before the show observed the vigil. And that's when I really got it, watching all these adults I'd spent months rehearsing with, putting on their makeup and getting into costume in complete silence for an hour. It was very moving to me. And um, after that, I wanted to learn more about who John was. I'll, uh, I would like to remind everyone at this point in time, this is a call-in show. We do have a caller waiting we'll get to shortly. And I'll, uh, I'll tell you my story. Then I don't know if the, uh, the, the day that John died, I was um, working in a pizza place. And we had just the feature album and I was, I was at my, the, I was a manager of a pizza restaurant and I also was the DJ at, a, at uh, our campus radio station. And so I um, had just left the pizza place, was at the radio station when we got a call that something had happened to John. And I said, that's a horrible thing to say. And uh, then the AP alarm went off back when the AP wire would ring bells. It was like a four bell ring, which meant like it was a war. And I went into the, uh, and ripped the wire and John Lennon had been shot. And so for the, uh, next few hours, I, I played nothing but Lennon music and Beatles and, uh, bemoaned, you know, the loss of John. Wow. And then I was going to go to New York and join in, uh, the, uh, the, the the marching around you know and and you know the gathering that was there i got so incredibly drunk i passed out in my car and i remember waking up in my car with the window down snow was falling in the window and i heard give peace a chance on the radio wow and that's how i remember that day it was uh, and i remember there were people i never knew that were you know mccartney and lennon and beetle fans in tears uh, yeah. 
and and none of us could believe it. I mean, I at first I just so I remember I called uh, the hospital. It was Parkland Memorial Hospital where he went, and they confirmed it. And I did live. I went live on the air with that confirmation, and um, I just uh, I it, it um, years later I went and and I was um, remember Siskel and Ebert. Of course. They showed up at our college, I think, about a year or two later, and they were talking about the Kennedy assassination and how, for them, it was a definitive moment where they knew that the uh, that childhood had ended and adulthood began. And it was then when they said that that it clicked in my head that that was the seminal moment for me when childhood ended and adulthood began wow. was when John got shot. Wow. And I, I had... I, but, but I was there at, at the Dakota for the 10 year anniversary, um, in 1990, by then I was, I was old enough to go into the city and be there. So, uh, he, I was sort of a late bloomer. I, 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 it was really what got me interested was when he died and it, it drove me to become much more informed and, 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 uh, and it, it, you know, he wound up, of course, meaning a lot to me as the years went on. And I, I've had the great pleasure of meeting Yoko. Um, I've had Julian and Sean on my show several times. And, uh, you know, John Lennon is just, the best thing about him is that there's so many young people and older people who have so much of his music still to discover. Like he's still going to give so much joy to people who don't even know him yet, even though he's now been, uh, you know, he's been dead for longer than he's been alive. Oh. And yet he, he's, he's still, there's still some, there's going to be young people who are going to pick up a copy of revolver or pick up a copy of plastic Ono band, which I think is his greatest solo album and have their minds blown. I think you could argue that John invented punk. Oh, well, yeah. Or, and remember when um, there was a, uh, there's a great interview with John and he's talking about the B-52s. Yeah. And how they, he goes, mother, he's talking to Yoko, mother, they're, they're doing you. And they, and it was music that they had done together. I, I think one of the greatest, uh, I, I think his greatest solo uh, performance on guitar was in, well, I think it may be uh, in a walking on the, uh, uh, thin ice. Oh yeah. That, that, I mean, the guitar in that is just riveting and it's John and it's, it's angry and it's punk and it's, and it's everything. Yeah. They're all underrated as musicians, in my opinion, all of them underrated. You see Paul live and you're astonished at how insanely talented he is on every instrument. And, you know, I, I will admit that um I, I have a very special place in my heart for eighties, George Harrison. Because the slide guitar he began playing earnestly in the late 70s to the 80s sounds nothing like the way he played guitar for the Beatles. He's a completely oh, yeah. different artist. And I grew up, I mean, Cloud Nine was the first solo Beatle record I ever got into when I was uh, a teenager wow. at, at school. And, uh, you know, 80s George is so distinct from every other version of George. And it's one of my fa I have a playlist of just 80s George Harrison. Master. It's just a, a, <laughs> pardon? Master it going faster. Right. Yeah, that album's great. I think that someone said that album invented Yacht Rock, but <laughs> I don't want to admit that Yacht Rock exists, so I can't comment on that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get wasted away in Margaritaville over it. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that album. I One of the things that I um, you, you go back and there's the other documentary where Paul is talking to a, a, a producer and he's going over all the songs and they at, at point at some point in time, they didn't know who was. You know, Paul was the bass player, but somebody else may be playing bass. You know, George was the uh, was the lead guitar player, but there's John. They were very talented musicians who took uh, music and completely in in several different directions. And one of my favorite ever recordings of theirs is from the drum solo at the end of Abbey Road. Oh yeah, the only drum solo the Beatles ever did. Yep. Yeah, and I was remarkably impressed. It, it's a concise, you know, and it was everything was in in sync with the song. It, it was the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. And so Ringo, you know, didn't it didn't like drum solos because he didn't want to go out on a you know go out on a tear somewhere. And yeah. their all their guitar solos always made sense within the frame of the song. And they put that so compactly, but so nicely together. And those three guitar solos with John, Paul, and George after that drum solo, to me, they're playing one after another. And they're just, 
they're they're riffing off of what the guy before them did. Yeah, someday someday someone's going to make a uh, like a, a, a you know a hologram of the three of them playing, so we can actually watch them trade off the solos. I because I, I I wish they had filmed it. Like you can you can tell when Paul stops soloing and George starts, and then John starts. And I'm not one of these diehards who can tell you who's playing which solo, although it's really fun to watch other people try it at the Grammys when McCartney yeah. did it with Elvis Costello and Springsteen and little Steven or on the live from Japan album, George is trading solos with uh, Andy Fairweather low and Eric Clapton on while my guitar gently weeps. And well, yeah. Oh, and that, that's a great song, but um, those three guitar solos, I think it goes in, doesn't it go uh, George Paul and John is the muddy one. Yeah. Rawr, 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 rawr. Exactly. And it's just, and it's a mocking guitar solo. It's it's actually you could just see him sitting there doing it. And I and I think I was uh, was Glenn Johns, who was ever the producer, said they just walked in that morning, pulled up three chairs, sat down and played. It's beautiful. It's just great. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Paul is still closing with that on his current tour. Is he? Yep. He's have, closing have you... with Golden Slumbers and uh, Carry That Weight in the End. I'm taking my my horrible child next week to his first ever concert. And uh, it's going to be Paul McCartney. We, we how, waited. Have, have, when was the last time you saw him live? Uh, last time I saw Paul live was 2017. And um, I saw him twice on that tour. I saw him right in the beginning when he played Manhattan and his voice was kind of scratchy. But two weeks later, he came back and played Brooklyn. And after being on the road for two weeks, his voice was much stronger. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I was wondering how his voice was holding up at his age. You know, he's 80. And, and I, I think I would love to see Paul McCartney try to stop play, in his 80s if he wants to still play. I'd love to see him stop trying to scream the rockers and do more like what Leonard Cohen did in his final tour and, and scale it back sonically, transpose the keys down a couple so he can sing in a stronger voice. But um, he'll do whatever he wants to do. You know, that that album of standards he released with My Valentine, which should have been the title of the album. And my Valentine, I mean, Mel Torme could have sang that song. It's beautiful. It's a sonata. Yeah. And like, that is the first album McCartney ever did where he doesn't play any instruments, just uses his voice. And it's the first album he ever does where he lets his voice be vulnerable and sound like an old person. And it's really lovely. And I think there's a lot he could really do if he was willing to uh, adapt. I think he should grow a long white ponytail and a big beard. I think <laughs> old man McCartney would be an amazing, uh, you know, incarnation. He did one. I remember seeing the, um, and I can't remember the name of the song now, but he was in a boat and, and, and it was uh, the video. And it was uh, something like uh, the girl it, across the hall. Oh crap. But it was <laughs> what I, <laughs> yeah, I'm having a senior moment, but, uh, <laughs> but, as he aged, he took that down an octave, and I liked it when he yeah. did that. Yeah. Uh, but he, again, he's a Beatle; he can do whatever he wants. Boy, we're scared. We're scaring all the uh, the non-hardcore Beatle fans off with this conversation, but it's really fun. Let me give yeah. you a trivia question: Paul sure. McCartney. Paul McCartney has played "Why Don't We Do It in the Road" live in concert one time. Who did he do it with? Joe Walsh. Neil Young. Neil Young. That's right. I knew it was. It's quite, yeah, right. Neil Young. You're right. Yeah. God, that was a. Uh, I, I. I don't know why I said Joe Walsh. Because Joe Walsh is Ringo's brother-in-law. Yeah. Well, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he, we, we've lived long enough to see Joe Walsh become the most attractive member of the Eagles. That's that's. And we, we've lived long enough to see Ronnie Wood become the most attractive member of the Stones. I'm just going to put that up there. <laughs> You know, it was funny when I, when I was in uh, Vegas during the when COVID during the first COVID shutdown. Yeah. Um, I you know it was empty. The streets were empty. There was a McDonald's open. I remember I pulled into McDonald's. And I said, "Well, it's comforting to know that in case of uh, a nuclear war, cockroaches, McDonald's, and Keith Richards will all survive." There you go. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, Ronnie Woods is the best looking member of the, of the Stones. We're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we have a we have a caller. Eric is online. If you got a question about the Beatles, Eric will make you live and bring it on. Uh, what you got, brother? Simply having a wonderful, a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> wonderful. Or uh, um, my favorite Beatles song. Um, you guys know this one is um, Eleanor Rigby. Children, yeah. your feet. 
Wonder how you ever could make ends meet. I think you're mixing Ellen two songs together. I think he is mixing yeah. two songs. But what's your question That's a, that's a live mashup you're hearing right now. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, my, it's a little joke. I was wondering if you'd catch it. But in any case. I dig it. But by the way, you know what? I, I, I want to say this. As long as we're geeking out on this, I can't believe we're not talking politics. I love this. The soundtrack to the Beatles Cirque du Soleil show, Love, is in many ways the greatest Beatles album that nobody has. It is a oh. mashup of every Beatles song with every Beatles song. George Martin and his son uh, Giles did it, and it is essential. The, the year it came out, I bought like 20 of them and gave them as gifts to everybody. It's, it's an ass- and it's all mashups of the Beatles with the Beatles. Yeah, and there, uh, there, uh, there are a couple of them. Where it, for me, as a Beatles fan, it's, it's fun to pick out the little snippets and go, well, that came from that song, that came from yeah. that song, that came from that song. Yeah, the, the drum solo of Ringo's You Like appears in the first track. It's just great. I'm yes. sorry, Eric, I totally hijacked your call. <laughs> no, go ahead, Eric. You had the question? Lady Madonna. Da, 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 <laughs> That's not a question there, Eric. That's a song. Okay, here's my question. Okay. <laughs> okay, what's well, your question, brother? You brought up Beatles and politics. So I'd be remiss if I didn't point out how formative uh, the happiness is a warm gun sequence from Bowling for Columbine was for my, you know, I'm 31, wow. but, you know, when that came out and I saw that in the theater... So if you wanted to bring it back to that, but, you know, I was very interested um, in hearing uh, your guys' take as Beatles fans, because this is enthralling, even if you're, you know, by the way, if you're going to do the um, uh, music quiz, you want to start out with a few easy ones, because I was like, whoa, I don't know any of these, but in any case, (laughs) I love the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles are their own genre. I mean, yeah, I agree. Even if they're still like, you know, probably I would say 70% of their songs I have not actually heard, but I, everyone's heard. Oh, well, know. then you've got it. You've got, you know, and everybody work binge to do, watch right? movies. They ought to binge to listen to the Beatles. I've got a I, lifetime of Beatles ahead of me. I want to say that you're very lucky for that. I feel like when I talk to someone who's never watched The Wire or Breaking Bad, the same way when I talk to someone who's never really listened to the Beatles. I've albums, never watched those just knows the. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have amazing popular art waiting for you that will yeah. make your life better and will just give you so much reward for uh, for enjoying. And by the way, it was a very hard trivia. I've, I've done a lot of Beatles trivia. Brian made it really hard. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm glad. I, I think I got half of them right, at least. Yeah, that, you know, some of those songs are so obscure. and um, Not if it, you're a fan. But not if you're a fan. And for me, that whole that whole side of uh, uh, magical, I'm sorry, not Ma- Yellow Submarine, also has another obscure song. But David Grove brought that one out, and and, and that's uh, Bulldog. Hey, Bulldog. Yeah, Bulldog. And that song has really enjoyed a uh, a real renaissance. When the Beatles channel launched at Sirius XM, they made us play that song every hour on my show, and I was so happy to do it because that's a song that really, really. Uh, it's great to see someone who's like only a casual Beatles fan discover Hey Bulldog and be blown away by the musicianship and the, and by just the, 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 the force of the rock. It's just great. And uh, there's another one on that same note, kind of the same feeling to it. And that's off the white album. And that's, Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Yeah, that's that's a that's a Rolling Stone song to me. Like that sounds like yeah. Keith Richards came in to play guitar for the Beatles. And and that song, I I also used that one uh, in a in a news piece one time, and I got a call from somebody who said, well, "What's that a euphemism for?" And I go, uh-huh. "What what what are you talking about?" <laughs> I, I know what you're talking was, about. They thought I was purposely being dirty, but no, I just like the guitar I, riff. I thought it was a drug reference myself always, but yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was a sexual reference. I thought it was a, a drug reference. Well, Lucy and I, that was the, the album guy where... with Diamonds is a drug reference. Did you know that? Of course, uh, yeah, although, of although course. John always denied it. But John always yeah, John it. said it was brought, Julian came home from school with a with a drawing, and he said, what's that? And Julian goes, that's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah, that's rubbish, by the way. It's a drug song. But I will yeah, say. Yeah, I don't know shit. You think? But the White Album, the White Album, I mean, all of John's songs, uh, I mean, the White Album was where he began messing around with, with heroin. And you really see it in the Let It Be movie, by the way. And I've always thought that, you know, something to hide but me and my monkey was uh, a drug reference. Well, yeah, and but the greatest song influenced by heroin from, from John is Cold Turkey. I agree. That I, I mean, that's a screen. It's like it's like primal therapy. Yeah, it, literally, he 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 wrote it in primal scream therapy. That and mother. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's another good one. So, all right, let's go through your uh, your your favorite solo songs of each Beatle, if you if you got one. Uh, 
Start with Ringo. Wow. I, I wish you'd ask me favorite solo albums. That's easier. Ringo, it, I'd have to say it don't come easy. It's it's a great song. It holds up. It's it's still wonderful. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. George. George is my favorite solo artist of all of them. And um, uh, that's that's wow. I didn't know you were going to do this to me. Uh, <laughs> I got to pick one. I'll, I'll I'll change my mind by tomorrow. Um, I'll say your love is forever just because nobody else would pick that. That's a good one. Um, I, I like that whole, uh, the album with the master of going faster on it. That's the same album. Yeah. The George, it's yeah. called George Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, George, George, I'll say, I'll say, uh, all things must pass. It's just an amazing song, but I will say McCartney did the best ever version of it. And I saw him do it in London at the concert for George. And Paul, uh, favorite Paul song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Of course. No. Um, <laughs> although you know what that song, it, it the song sounds like two Casio keyboards fucking, but uh, <laughs> it, it is said that Paul gets half a billion dollars every year in royalties off of just that song. So go ahead and laugh. Lawrence Juber is still you know, paying the bills off of that song. Um, favorite Paul song ever? Oh, I'll, I'll say Band on the Run because it still is great live. I, st- I like that, but there's, um, I, I don't know. I, I like, I like his uh, earlier um, album. Maybe I'm amazed. Pardon? Maybe I'm amazed. No, I'm. I'm going to go with uh, something on the backside, uh, backseat of my car. I love. Nice. But um, I also love. Um, you know, and we used to do it. And and uh, at at the end of Al- uh, Uncle Albert. Mm-hmm. Smile away, smile away, smile away. Yeah, smile away. I love that one. Right on. <laughs> all right john Oof, jealous guy oh that's a great one yeah all right i'm gonna for me it's a and i'll, I'll probably get divorced if i don't say this it, it's actually you know my wife and i started dating in august of 1980 and this song came out a few months later and it became quote unquote our song and so i'm gonna have to go with woman it's a great song yeah, and I, I love that album. That is uh, his last album, you know, that he put out while he was alive. Yeah, was just uh, and that brought, you know he had been silent for five years. He hadn't really put out any music um, for about five years, and yeah. then when he and then he put that out and was dead so quickly. Just, to, I mean, it, it just. It, I remember interviewing Howard Cosell years later. And Cosell said it, 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 you know, because he announced it live on Monday Night Football. Yes. And he said it tore him up because he was such a John Lennon fan. A lot of, you know, publications gave Double Fantasy negative reviews. They thought it was like a McCartney record. They thought it was too pop. And then after he died, they pulled all those reviews. Yes. And, um, I remember that. Win, it went on to win the Grammy for Album of the Year. And it's aged beautifully. And they released uh, a stripped down version of it a couple of years ago. That's very, very good. And so what? which uh, song, here's a bit of trivia for you. Um, which song on that album is a ripoff of a Buddy Holly song? Just Like Starting Over? Nope. Um, let me think. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Um Watching the wheels? No, no, no. I give up. I don't know this one. Oh, come on. You got Beautiful boy. Beautiful boy. Uh, no? Okay. I've, I've gotten three wrong. You have, What is it? Well, uh, Dear Yoko. What Buddy Holly song? It's it's the same rhythm and cadence as a Buddy Holly song. Dear, it's a, and he was, um, it was the, one of the last interviews he did and he got, he, and someone I can't remember who it was from Music Express or from Rolling Stone said, "It's it sounds familiar to me." And he goes, "Well, you know, that's me owed to Buddy Holly." <laughs> well, you got to listen to. I mean, I'm sure you listen to the John Lennon anthology album, which is just you know all unreleased stuff that came out in the late '90s, and him just doing you know Rave On uh, and other oh, Buddy yeah. Holly songs just by himself in the living room, just just miraculous john lennon doing buddy holly is is wonderful and not the stuff on rock and roll which is very overproduced but just the stuff with just him and his guitar his maybe baby is great yes um and uh the beatles did fate not fade away and words of love i got to see bob dylan 
do not fade away in Anaheim, California, a few years back. What do you think of that? Fantastic. Google Bob Dylan at the Anaheim Sun Theater in Anaheim in 2000. He did it as an encore. And man, I saw Patti Smith do it. But Bob Dylan, the best version of Not Fade Away I've ever seen. Well, I think the best uh, uh, Buddy Holly cover is Words of Love by the Beatles. It is so it is so I, I mean, maybe, you know, there are others, but I mean, that's so authentic. And it's so I mean, it sounds like Buddy was in the in the studio with him. And they all said that Buddy Holly was one of their major influences. Oh yeah. And it's funny cause they all covered him. Ringo did a, a pretty good cover of think it over on a Buddy Holly oh, tribute album a couple of years that, ago. And they were also big fans of, of, of Detroit and uh, Motown. Well, yeah, you can listen to that. I mean, with the Beatles is so influenced by Motown. Whereas yeah. like an album like uh, Traveling Wilburys is much more influenced by like, you know, rockabilly music. But um, th- I think with the Beatles is their big Motown album. And I, I think their yeah. version of Please Mr. Postman is as good as the Marvelettes. I-, I like that one. And I like Slow Down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, McCartney, we're geeking out so hard. McCartney bought the entire Buddy Holly song catalog. So well, that's because to... Michael Jackson bought his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I, no, Michael Jackson bought it because Paul did. Paul it gave Michael the advice to get into song publishing and buy songs. Paul owns Happy Birthday. Paul owns the I Love Lucy theme. NPL owns such a vast catalog of music. Anytime you hear a Buddy Holly song used in a commercial, Paul's getting paid. And Michael Jackson took his advice, but went a little too far. And uh, yeah. I think it'd be funny if Paul and Yoko bought the Michael Jackson sound catalog. <laughs> I'd be, now that would be funny. Yeah. But that's pretty gangster. I get into publishing. Oh, maybe I'll buy yours. Yes. <laughs> Paul tells the story very well. But uh, yeah, one of my many ideas Paul didn't like was uh, that he and Yoko should buy Michael's song catalog. Now that's funny. That's <laughs> I, I think that's, I, I'd pursue that <laughs> if I had their money. <laughs> so uh, let me close. We've been doing this for an hour, and you're right. It's been a geek out, and I love it. And I don't get to do it with many people because. I'll tell you, there's not many people who even get the Beatles anymore. I know. Think about all the women we've alienated in this hour. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. But but the few that we haven't. <laughs> but let me let me leave you with this thought. We're going to go back to politics. What do you think John would think of politics today? I think that he would have gone through many different incarnations. You know, if he had come out and become right wing at some point in the 80s or 90s just to be a contrarian. It wouldn't have surprised me all that much. But I think ultimately he would still be fighting for the same causes. He would still be for nonviolence. I think John Lennon would have been probably one of the first major celebrities to sign on for LGBT equality. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. Yeah. I think John Lennon would have been. The only one of the Beatles who uh, who would have just protested every war the last 40 years. I think, John, you know, I mean, I kept waiting for McCartney to come out against the Iraq war and he never really did it. I think John would have just, you know, gone straight out and done anti-war concerts all the way. John Lennon, there are no artists of his stature, no artists of his stature who were willing to trade their popularity for the causes they believed in. And I mean, none. Not, I mean, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. That's it. Like that. Yeah. That's, I mean, Neil Young, I guess, but I don't know if Neil's even at John Lennon's stature. I think Springsteen's the no. only one who comes well, close. Only one of John Lennon's stature, and this isn't from music, but he's a, a fellow Louisvillian, and uh, he was a fan of the Beatles, and the Beatles were a fan of his. So I'll say Muhammad Ali and John Lennon were the two, when I was growing up, that would put it right on the line. I agree. My dad um, was a huge Muhammad Ali fan. He really taught me to love Ali and why I should love Ali. He, you know, let us stay up to watch the Leon Spinks fight when we were kids. But it was it was really my dad explaining about Vietnam that made me appreciate why Ali was a hero. You know, um, they like to call him a draft dodger. He wasn't a draft dodger. Neither was Bill Clinton. They were draft defiers. Um, Donald Trump and George W. Bush and Rush Limbaugh and Dick Cheney were draft dodgers. Muhammad Ali was a draft defier. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And there was, oh, and I remember the, the song I was talking about earlier is uh, Paul McCartney, No Other Baby. That's a great, that's a great freaking song. That's from the Run Devil Run album. Yeah, I, I love I that a, album. It's a great album. It's the first album he did after Linda died. I did an event with Paul. He didn't tour for that record, but we did a, a listening party at Hammerstein Ballroom. And um, let me tell you, 
I had I had worked with Paul before that night. I had never partied with Paul before that night. Uh-oh. And uh, Woody Harrelson was there, and wow, fun I've was partied had, with him. What's that? I've partied with Woody. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think everybody's partied with Woody at one point. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but that Run Devil Run record uh is sublime, and that No Other Baby was released as a single. Paul McCartney's No Other Baby is one of those great songs that is out there that is sort of an undiscovered solo Beatle classic. I feel the same about the song What It Is yes. on that record. Yes. Uh, those two, What It Is, I, I was like, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, who sang What It Is? What cover was that? And I'm like, wait, that was an original? Holy crap. Yeah. What It Is is as good as anything Little Richard wrote. It's a Chuck Berry song. It's a masterpiece. It but is. No Other, no other yeah. Baby, when you realize he's singing this and his wife had just died, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah it breaks your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. So we'll we'll end with this. Going back to politics, the uh, the um, wonderful January six hearings are now going to take place Thursday night, tomorrow night. Do you expect anything from it? Yes, do you, I do. What do you expect from it? Well, you know, I I don't really know that it's going to move anyone. Uh, I I don't know if it's going to motivate people to vote. I don't know if there's anybody who doesn't care who will start to care. I mean, certainly conservatives who don't care won't. They're going to dig in deeper than ever. I think there is some progressives and liberals and just anti-evil, sane people who have come to take it for granted over the last 20 months or so. Right. But I, I've come to believe, A, that, you know, they've hired the former the former uh, uh, EP of Good Morning America and Nightline to be sort of the advisor. And they're really trying to make it um, – a TV special. They're really trying to make it so that journalists will find the material fresh. And it's going to be a mix of live witnesses and pre-produced video. There will be photographs and video we've never seen before, surveillance footage from inside the Capitol we've never seen before. And, and many of the depositions were videotaped, including Ivanka. So the rumor I'm hearing is that you're going to see Ivanka or Jared on this special. Uh, But, you know, I don't think the House managers would come out there and talk about how this will blow the roof off unless they really meant it. And I don't think, again, these are Democrats, so they could always just completely blow it. But I don't think they'd be plugging this thing as being at a huge uh, event if they weren't very confident that the content was going to be very powerful. And well, again, it has it. power to shock. Remember when the New York Times put out their their short film about January 6th or the HBO documentary? Yeah. Like, we need to keep watching it. Not just because it happened, but because it's going to happen again. Well, it's happening every damn day is the yeah. problem. I mean, you have Boberts and you have the, you know, the idiot from uh, Georgia and you have, you know, Jim Jordan and you have Mitch McConnell and you have Rampa and all of them are so full of it. And I'm so freaking tired of them. But, yeah, Jamie Raskin said they have evidence of Trump's involvement in a lot more than just incitement and that the revelations, his words, will blow the roof off the House. I know that uh, the guy who was embedded with the Proud Boys is going to testify tomorrow. Uh, Caroline Edwards, who is a Capitol Police officer who got a concussion from being beaten by these Trump supporters, is going to yeah. testify tomorrow. It's it's going to be new allegations and new evidence of criminality. Um, again, they can't prosecute. But I think. Uh, well, I think know, if it, it's got to move the needle and it's got to get the department of justice to indict these won't be successful if it's just shock and awe and it goes away i don't know i I don't know if they're doing it for get indictments i think they're doing it to get the vote out for the democrats this year well i think that's that's uh, you know i i talked to norm eisen about that and it was the best case scenario it leads to indictments uh the middle case scenario is it helps out the democrats in the fall and the worst case scenario is it doesn't move the needle yeah. I, I'm tending to think it's probably going to end up around, you know, the middle of the pack there, which maybe probably. that's all right, because that will kill and quell this authoritarianism that's running ravage, you know, uh, through the countryside of our country. But if the worst case scenario occurs, this country is doomed. And well, we let's to- see. And by the by the way, this is the cycle of America. We don't pay attention until things get worse and then they get bad and then we show up. Yeah. And Democrats in my lifetime have only been elected after Republicans have screwed everything up. I mean, well, in my lifetime, the the Republicans have always screwed everything. Right. But in my (laughs) lifetime, that's been the only thing I've ever seen. Right. Democrats screw it up. I mean, Republicans screw it up and then Democrats come in to clean up the mess. And And then the Republicans come back and make it worse. Yes. Every time. And the only times that hasn't happened was when the American people 
chose Al Gore and Hillary Clinton to be president, but the dead slave owners who gave us the Electoral College decided otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that thought, on that up note, <laughs> John, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate thank you it. so much. Really a pleasure. It's great to be here. And uh, and thank you and your listeners for having me. And I have never done an interview where we talked about the Beatles this much. It's really fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I, I had to do it. It's been in it's been in the blood for a while. Right on. <laughs> the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. And we'll catch you next time. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.